Chapter 2 of The Clue of the Gold Coin by Helen Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 A Strange Trip. Three mornings later, Vicky, Kathy, and Johnny Baker strolled across the concrete apron in front of Gate 5 at Idlewild to board the plane for the return to Tampa. Today, the skies were clear, but the wind blowing across the huge airfield carried the crisp, cold bite of winter, and small snowdrifts were still piled up against the heavy wire fencing that enclosed the passenger area. Where's Captain March? Vicky asked Johnny. He's late this morning, and that's not like him. Captain's already on board, the co-pilot said. He boarded her in the hangar. What's the matter? Kathy laughed. Doesn't he trust the ground crew to see that she's ready to fly? Don't ask me, Johnny replied, grinning good-naturedly. I'm just the co-pilot. I take over the controls when the captain tells me to and I don't ask questions. Then one of these days, if I'm a good boy, I'll be a captain myself. I'll know all the answers, but of course I won't tell them to the rest of the crew. So there is no use asking me anything. Not now or a couple of years from now when I've got another stripe on my sleeve and I'm sitting up there in the captain's seat. You're a big help, Kathy scoffed. I told you I was, Johnny said. As the three entered the plane from the landing ramp, Captain March emerged from the flight deck, followed by a stocky man wearing a blue business suit under a light gray top coat. This is Mr. Jones, he said, making the introductions. Miss Barr, Miss Soms, Mr. Baker. Mr. Jones nodded briefly to each of the crew members in turn. Mr. Jones is making the flight with us, the captain explained. Then he said to Mr. Jones, Just take any seat you'd like, sir. These young ladies will see that you get anything you want. Mr. Jones removed his top coat, handed it to Kathy, and sat down in an aisle seat opposite the door. He took a folded newspaper from his jacket pocket and began to read. Captain March and Johnny Baker disappeared through the forward door that led to the flight deck. Kathy had carried Mr. Jones' top coat to the wardrobe amidships. Vicky followed her down the aisle. It looks as if something's up, she said in a low voice. I don't go to the movies for nothing, Kathy remarked. That Mr. Jones has cop written all over him. We must be carrying something pretty important today. A shipment of diamonds, maybe, or gold. Gold. Suddenly, Vicky remembered the antique gold coins that were being sent from the New York Museum to the Pirate Festival in Tampa. Could they possibly have them on board this flight? That could account for Mr. Jones and the captain riding the ship out from the hangar. And especially if, as Kathy has suggested, Mr. Jones had cop written all over him. Oh well, she shrugged off the thought. If they were carrying a shipment of gold, she'd never know about it. Vicky looked at the passenger list, which she still had under her arm. There was Mr. Jones' name all right, along with an assortment of other typical American names. Smith, Cooper, Levine, Carpenter, Fagan, Morris... One name caught her eye. She pointed it out to Kathy. F.R. Eaton Smith. My, that sounds important. Who do you suppose he could be? Sounds English, 
Kathy commented. But let's go. Here they come. An attendant had opened the wire gate and now the passengers for the flight were streaming across the apron to the loading ramp. Vicky stood by the plane's open doorway, the passenger list in her hand and checked off the names one by one as the passengers entered. You are Mr. Cooper. Vicky made a check beside his name. Oh yes, Mr. Cooper. You're bound for Atlanta. Atlanta was their one stop en route to Tampa. Vicky studied the man's face quickly but carefully. Part of her job was to make her passengers feel welcome on board by remembering their names. The man walked down the aisle and took a seat by a window. One by one, the passengers filed through the doorway. An elderly couple, a woman with a little girl, a young man and woman in their early twenties who displayed all the familiar outward appearances of being honeymooners. The next man had a distinguished air about him. He was portly, dignified, well-dressed. His rimless glasses were so highly polished that Vicky could not see his eyes behind them. Only brilliant reflections of sunlight. I am Mr. Eaton Smith. His voice was as dignified as his appearance. So this was F.R. Eaton Smith. His appearance certainly fitted his name. She turned to the next passenger. He was a thin, frail old man, wearing a battered felt hat over his badly trimmed gray hair and a shabby overcoat with a frayed collar. He clutched a battered violin case under his arm as though he had been unwilling to trust it with the rest of the luggage in the cargo compartment. He certainly didn't look, Vicky thought, like a man who was accustomed to the first-class air travel. Good morning, Vicky said brightly. Your name, sir? The old gentleman looked startled. I am Amos Tytel, miss. He looked around the big cabin. Where, uh, which seat is mine? Take any seat you'd like, Mr. Tytel, Vicky said. But if you want to look at the scenery, I'd suggest that you sit next to a window. We're going to have clear weather all the way. Finally, the last of the passengers trooped aboard. The door was closed. The landing ramp wheeled away by the ground crew and Captain March started his engines. One by one, the big four-blade propellers whined as they turned over slowly, then coughed and spat small puffs of blue exhaust smoke and suddenly burst into a steady roar. The revolving blades making bright, shiny disks that gleamed and sparkled in the morning sun. The big ship vibrated with the pounding of airstream against her sides and strained at the wheel brakes like a racehorse impatient for a start. At last, Captain March taxied out to the end of the runway, waited for his signal from the tower, and when he got it, gunned the ship down the concrete strip and lifted her into the air as smoothly and gently as a bird. Once the airplane was off the ground and droning up to cruising altitude, and the no-smoking fasten seatbelt sign had blinked out, Vicky and Kathy made their way up and down the aisle, chatting with their passengers, offering them chewing gum and magazines, and doing everything they could to make them comfortable and put them at their ease. Mr. Eaton Smith interested Vicky particularly. Maybe she thought it was his curious double name with the hyphen in the middle. Now with his hat off, she could see that his large Roman-looking head was a little bald on top. 
and Vicky was again impressed by his air of dignity. When she came to his aisle seat, she said politely, Anything I can get for you, Mr. Eaton Smith? A cup of coffee, a magazine perhaps? Mr. Eaton Smith smiled. It was a curiously mechanical smile, polite but certainly not warm or cordial. No, thank you. Then he added, I think we'll have a pleasant flight today. Yes, Vicky said. Clear skies all the way. I can see that you are a veteran air traveler, sir. Mr. Eaton Smith seemed flattered. Yes, I think I might call myself that, since I've flown just about all over this globe of ours. Oh, Vicky said, are you a foreign correspondent, a writer? Mr. Eaton Smith beamed. No, but you're close. I am a travel lecturer and I operate a small travel agency in Tampa, just to have a sort of headquarters, as you might say. Just ring if there's anything I can do for you, Vicky said. I certainly will, and thank you. The frail old man sitting across the aisle from Mr. Eaton Smith was certainly not a veteran air traveler. Vicky could tell that at a glance. He actually looked frightened as he sat tensely in his seat, still wearing his overcoat with his violin case clutched between his knees. A breathtaking panorama was unfolding just below the window next to which he was sitting, but he was paying no attention to it, staring intently at the back of the seat in front of him. Are you feeling all right, sir? Vicky asked gently. May I take your overcoat? No, no. Thank you, miss. I am cold. Vicky bent over him anxiously. Why, this man was half fainting. Are you feeling ill, sir? Hungry, he whispered. Just a minute. Vicky hurried to the galley. Obviously, Mr. Tytel could not wait until lunch was served. She placed a sandwich and a cup of coffee on a tray and carried it back to the old man. There, she said. That should make you feel better. He was so exhausted or so nervous or ill that his thin, heavily veined hands shook and Vicky had to help him hold his coffee cup. She did not attempt to talk to him as he ate. When he had finished, he smiled at Vicky gratefully. I feel better now. That's good. But why did you let yourself grow so weak? She knew it was against the rules to ask personal questions, but she felt a genuine concern for this frail old man. You didn't have breakfast, did you? No. A tremor seemed to pass over his face. And what a sensitive face it was, Vicky thought. She had known musicians before. She knew what dreamy, impractical people most of the old ones were. Was this man starving? His suit coat, underneath his overcoat, was worn and threadbare. His thin gray hair looked as though it hadn't been cut in months. His ticket showed that he was going to Tampa. The Florida sunshine will do you a lot of good, Mr. Tytel. Are you visiting your family in Tampa or friends? He raised his weak, pale blue eyes to her. All the family I have is my grandson, and he's in, in a school in New York. Yes, I'm going to visit friends. He hesitated and grew silent. I didn't mean to pry, Vicky said hastily. It's a long flight, and I just thought you'd like to talk. But now perhaps we'd better wait till after lunch. She looked at her watch. That won't be long now and you can have a good hot meal.
She removed the tray from his lap and started to walk away. But the old violinist plucked at her sleeve. Please don't leave, miss. I'm glad of a chance to talk. You don't know how lonesome I am. And you're the first kind person. The eyes in his worn face were pleading. Vicky sat down in the empty seat beside him. Poor, frightened little scarecrow of a man. She touched the violin case. You must be a musician, she said encouragingly. This isn't a very good instrument, just an old fiddle. I had to sell my good violin to pay for... Again, his voice broke off and he fell silent. You'll be in Tampa just in time for the Gasparilla Festival, Vicky said, trying to cheer the old gentleman up. The... the what? The Pirate Festival. Didn't you hear about it when you planned this trip? It's the gayest time of the whole year. The old man sighed. It isn't as if I had exactly planned this trip. Why, that sounds as if you didn't want to go to Tampa at all, Mr. Titel. But if I... The old man's voice sounded scared. For an instant, he closed his tired eyes. I'm talking too much. Excuse me, miss. Vicky got up. Miss, what's your name? Victoria Barr. But all my friends call me Vicky. Thank you, Vicky. Mr. Titel relaxed in his seat and closed his eyes. As Vicky turned to go down the aisle to the galley, she noticed out of the corner of her eye that Mr. Eaton Smith, from his seat across the way, was looking at her and Mr. Titel with a curious interest. The next moment, the dignified gentleman turned his attention again to the magazine he had been reading. Now it was time for lunch, and Vicky and Kathy had their hands full preparing lunches for more than 60 passengers who were on the flight today. She glanced out a window. The ship was flying above Virginia now, where scattered white patches of snow were melting in the brown fields. Soon they would be approaching the green fields of Carolinas. There wasn't much time to get the passengers fed. Vicky forgot everything in her concentration on her job. Vicky worked her way up the aisle of the plane, serving the luncheons, carrying one tray at a time, making sure that each passenger had a cushion on his lap upon which to rest it, inquiring whether they would care for coffee or tea. When she came to Mr. Eaton Smith's seat, she noticed that he had moved across the aisle and was now sitting next to old Mr. Titel. The old man was dozing, his eyes closed. Mr. Eaton Smith put a finger to his lips. This gentleman seems to be ill, he whispered. I thought I had better move over here and see if there was anything I could do for him. That's very kind of you, sir, Vicky said, as she placed Mr. Eaton Smith's lunch tray on his lap. Old Mr. Titel's eyes fluttered, and their glance caught Vicky's for a split second. They looked like a begging puppy dog's eyes, she thought. In a few minutes, she had brought the tray for the old man and helped him steady it on his lap. He picked up a fork and began to toy listlessly with his food, keeping his eyes fixed upon his plate. Back in the galley, cleaning up the remains of the lunch, Vicky couldn't get her mind free of the shabby old man. Promptly on schedule, Captain March circled his plane over Tampa and landed. The mysterious Mr. Jones was the first person to get off when the ground crew pushed the landing ramp 
to the door. He spoke briefly to one of the crewmen on the ground, and the two of them stepped around to the tail of the plane next to the baggage compartment door. Then Vicky saw the rest of her passengers off the ship and said goodbye to each one as he was leaving. I hope you had a pleasant trip, Mrs. Peterson. Ride with us again, Mr. Devine. Goodbye, Mr. Harper. She saw old Mr. Tytel coming toward her, still clutching his battered violin case. Close behind him was Mr. Eaton Smith. Goodbye, sir. Have a pleasant stay in Tampa. Good. Goodbye, Miss Barr. He glanced back over his shoulder for a moment in the direction of his seat. And when his eyes returned to Vicky, they held an odd, hopeless look. Thank you again. Behind him, Mr. Eaton Smith was visibly impatient at the delay. He brushed against the old violinist's shoulder, and Mr. Tytel, feeling the slight pressure, lowered his head and seemed almost to scurry through the exit door. Speaking mechanically to the other passengers as they left, Vicky kept an eye on the tired old man as he went down the ramp and across the apron. Mr. Eaton Smith following at his elbow, she wondered who was going to meet Amos Tytel, but he walked straight on through a group of people who were obviously waiting to greet incoming friends and was soon swallowed up in the crowd. With the last of the passengers gone, Vicky and Kathy went rapidly through the big cabin on a final inspection tour. The empty seats were reclined at all angles. Pillows, magazines and newspapers were scattered over them in confusion. At one seat, she picked up a small package that had been forgotten. She'd take it to the lost and found desk in the terminal building. In the seat that old Mr. Tytel had occupied, something peculiar caught her eye. It was a Tampa visitor's guide, part of the travel literature and other reading materials carried in the plane's seat pockets. But it was folded in the shape of a sort of pyramid and was standing upright on the seat. Odd, Vicky thought and reached over to pick it up. As she did so, she noticed that the exposed page was an advertisement for a restaurant located in Ybor City, Tampa's old Latin Quarter. The restaurant was called the Grenada and under the name was the slogan, the liveliest and most popular meeting place in Tampa's famed Ybor City. The words meeting place were underlined by a wavery pencil scrawl. Had the old man left this as a signal? She remembered his furative over-the-shoulder glance as he was leaving the plane. Maybe he had a job at the Grenada playing in the orchestra. But why hadn't he come straight out and said so? Vicky wrinkled her pretty brows in puzzled frown. Was something strange going on here? Or was she just imagining things? She tucked the folder into her jacket pocket and went on with her work. End of chapter 2